Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. This podcast is made possible thanks for patrons. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons. Heather Lejeune, Rex, Mitch the Mini Sledge, Jennifer Savage Renshaw, Dildo Ball Bagans. All right, I guess that's where we're at. Andrea Renee Settle, and Eula GD. All of our patrons get immediate access to all Sunday and Wednesday productions early and commercial free. The reward tiers go up from there to include instant access to over 500 stores and counting, not to mention the four new stories added every week. There's also logo merch tiers whose proceeds go to suicide prevention charity. And if you sign up for the yearly membership, you get 12 months for the price of 11 as a special thanks. To see how you can support the podcast and get rewarded, and for your rewards have an impact on others, please check out the donation tiers at patreon.com creepypod. And a quick note to writers submitting their works for consideration. As much as we do love getting your stories in, please, please, please make sure you're double-checking submission guidelines before sending it. We put them out there for a reason so that there's less confusion. And that goes for any podcast you're submitting your works to. A lot goes into what we do. Thank you for your consideration. No. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents I Was the Only Passenger on This Plane When We Landed Written by EAPATBP And narrated by Michelle Kane I boarded the flight from New York to California at 7.15 a.m. It was a nonstop flight, and I was the only one on board, which I realized a few seconds after boarding and then confirmed with the flight attendant. I've always had a, a slight fear of flying. It wasn't the fact that I was stuck in a giant metal box for hours at a time that necessarily scared me, but rather the fact that I could end up in a sci-fi plot at any second. I know this is an irrational fear, but it's hard to remember that when you're thousands of feet up in the air. Surprisingly, being the only passenger somehow diminished my fears, and I felt a bit safer, like there was a less chance of something bad happening if I was the only one on board. And so, I found myself dozing off a mere few minutes into the flight. I was already tired from having to wake up early to get to the airport, and I figured I had time to take a nap and catch up on sleep. 
I'm normally the type of person to have bizarre dreams, and yet this time I had a completely soundless, dreamless sleep. When I woke up, there was complete silence. I stretched my neck out a bit and then my arms. I glanced out the window and saw nothing but clouds and sky. I checked my watch for the time and realized I had only slept for about 30 minutes, even though I felt incredibly groggy. The kind of grogginess that comes when you're ill and fall asleep after downing half a bottle of cold medicine. I rubbed my eyes and shook my head around a bit to wake myself up. But my eyelids fought back, heavily closing every time I blinked as if they were being weighed down by something. I didn't want to fall asleep again. My heart began to pound in my chest as I felt my body freeze. As if I was in some sort of sleep paralysis trance. I focused on moving my arms and legs and finally decided to get up and go into the bathroom to splash some water on my face hoping that would help me stay awake. I got up slowly, moving my legs around as I awkwardly marched in place a bit, and then proceeded to scoot past the empty seats next to me and out into the aisle. As I turned around to head towards the bathroom, I noticed there was something off about the plane and froze. There were three other passengers on board now, one of them was in the, the far left on the plane, the other three rows behind me, and the third was in the middle, near the last row. There were two women and one man. The man was dressed in a clean white suit and wore huge dark rimmed sunglasses on his face. One of the women wore a plain white dress, her hair neatly slicked back and gathered in a ponytail at the nape of her neck and hung over her left shoulder. The other woman wore what appeared to be pajamas, an oversized black shirt and a pair of gray sweatpants. All three of them sat up straight with their hands in their laps and stared straight ahead with blank expressions on their faces. For a second, I thought I was dreaming, although I was pretty sure this was real and something odd was happening. I took a tentative step, expecting the other passengers to look at me or attack me, but nobody moved. And so I continued to slowly walk to the bathroom, picking up my pace as I started to feel like someone was watching me. I closed the door shut behind me and leaned over the sink, opening the faucet and cupping my hands together to gather water, which I then splashed on my face. It was colder than I expected, and I gasped and then sputtered as I accidentally swallowed some of the water. Once I managed to catch my breath and calm down, I turned off the faucet and opened the door, heading back to my seat. Again, I walked slowly at first, as if to not disturb any of the passengers, and then picked up my pace and practically dove into my seat as I began to feel like, like something was going to happen to me if I didn't hurry. I sat in my seat, facing forward and refusing to turn around. My hands were sweating and I wiped them on my pants periodically as I tried to calm myself down and think logically. How had the other passengers gotten on the plane? Surely I would have woken up if we had landed somewhere, right? There would have been some sort of announcement that would have snapped me awake. 
Maybe the flight attendant lied when she told me I was the only one on board, but why? For fun? Was this some sort of prank designed to freak me out? I didn't know what to do, and I hadn't seen a flight attendant in a while, so I decided to stay in my seat, fighting the urge to turn around. I was afraid of what I might see, while simultaneously afraid of what I wasn't seeing. If I were in a horror movie, this would be the part where the audience can see the killer in the background as they yell at the main character to turn around. I don't know how long I had been sitting there, staring into the seat in front of me, before movement in my peripheral caught my attention. I took a deep breath and slowly turned to the right, where I saw one of the female passengers walking her way down the aisle. Her movements were strange, sharp and robotic, like her limbs were stiff and she hadn't moved in years. I watched as she threw one of her legs forward, her, her body lurching along with it. She wobbled as she gained her balance and then threw the other leg forward. While she did this, her hands remained stiff at her sides while her head faced forward. She stopped before she reached the row that I was seated in, and her head moved from right to left in a stiff motion the way a security camera would. She scanned the plane before her eyes landed on me. I held my breath as I waited for something to happen, but nothing did. Instead, she simply threw her leg forward again and continued to make her way towards the front of the plane. I finally got the courage to turn around and look behind me, but the rest of the passengers were still sitting down in their seats. I sat up a bit in my seat to double-check that everyone else was still in their seat and then sat back down. As I turned to face forward, I found myself face to face with the woman, who was back now and standing near the row in front of me, staring right at me. Her face was expressionless. She simply stared, as if she was waiting for me to do something. Is something wrong? I asked her. She continued to stare, and slowly her eyebrows pushed together, as if she appeared to be taking in what I said. My heart was pounding in my chest as I waited for her to do something, anything. I must have only stared at her for a few seconds, but the seconds stretched out into what felt like hours. Finally, she opened her mouth to speak, but no words came out. Instead, a garbled sound came out of her mouth. It sounded like someone was skipping through, through dozens of radio stations, but never stopping on one long enough to make out any words. It was a warbled sound, a combination of all different speaking tones and, and octaves that didn't make any sense. Her lips moved, so I knew she was producing the sounds herself. And she continued to make the noise as if she thought I could understand what she was saying. After a few seconds of that, she stopped and simply made her way back to her seat without so much as a look back. Unsettled, I checked my watch. There was still a little over three hours left before we landed, and I found myself spinning around to try and find a flight attendant. 
20 minutes later, I finally saw her as she made her way towards the back of the plane. I had no idea where she had come from, and I thought about asking, but I had bigger issues on my mind. Excuse me, I called, catching her attention. Yes, she smiled, leaning towards me. Where did the rest of the passengers come from? I asked. She stood up straight and looked around the plane. What other passengers? I pointed my thumb behind me, motioning toward the direction of the others. The other three people. They weren't here when we took off, so where did they come from? I asked. The flight attendant laughed awkwardly as she looked towards the back of the plane. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone that is on the plane is supposed to be on the plane. I shook my head. No, the other flight attendant told me I was the only passenger when I boarded. That must have been a mistake. Where in the sky do you think these people snuck in here? She asked. Well, I don't know. I'm starting to think they might have. The flight attendant looked at me with a strange look on her face, as if I were the one who had suddenly appeared on the plane mid-flight. Never mind, I replied, feeling defeated. Someone had to be messing with me. But why? And for what purpose? I decided to just stay in my seat and not interact with anyone else for the duration of the flight. That worked out fine for the next few minutes, until the second female passenger began to make her way down the aisle. I looked back as she started walking towards the front of the plane, one aisle over. She held onto the tops of the seats as she walked slowly. Something was weird, and I continued to watch her as she walked with her head down. When she passed the row I was in, I noticed she was heavily pregnant. Even though I was sure she hadn't been when I'd seen her the first time. Her other hand rested on her stomach as she staggered down the aisle before finally stopping and dropping to the ground. I stood up, looking at her over the seats as she laid back with her legs bent. I took a few steps forward, trying to make sure she was okay. She laid there, her face expressionless as she stared up. Then she opened her mouth, and the loud and gritting sound of TV static mixed with the horrible screeching sound filled the entire cabin. I pressed my palms against my ears, but that did little to block out the sound. I turned to look at the other passengers, but they sat still, as if they couldn't hear anything at all. After about ten excruciating seconds, it stopped. And I watched as the woman stood up as if nothing had happened, smoothed out her dress, and then bent over and picked up a baby off the ground. The baby was swaddled in a white blanket and silent as the woman carried it back to her seat with her. Freaked out, I looked around for the flight attendant again, but she was nowhere to be found. I stood up slowly and made my way to the back of the plane. The woman in the white dress sat up straight in her seat as she held the baby in her arms. I looked towards the man who had not moved at all this entire time and still wasn't. I glanced towards the other woman, the one I had seen walking around at first, 
but she also sat still in her seat, staring straight ahead. I continued to walk, passing the bathroom, which was empty, and walked towards the first-class cabin. I slid open the door and walked into the dark cabin. There were no lights on, and all the windows were closed. There were no passengers back there, but it wasn't empty. The two flight attendants I had seen were both standing in the middle of the aisles, one in each, with their backs to me. Hello? I called. Neither one of them moved. I called out a few more times, but it was as if they couldn't hear me. Finally, I decided to turn back around and head to my seat, feeling even more freaked out as I realized that something weird was going on and I had no way of escaping the scenario until we landed. I was starting to feel lightheaded, and I began to panic, and I headed to the bathroom again. Once again, splashing water on my face as I took deep breaths to calm myself down. When I felt like I could breathe again, I headed out towards my seat. I passed the woman and her baby again. Only her baby was no longer a baby. There was a small girl sitting in the seat next to the woman. She was no more than two years old and wore an all-white outfit her blonde hair tucked behind her ears. I stopped and stared for a few seconds, confused as to how the child had gone from a baby to a two-year-old so damn fast. The little girl caught me staring and looked up at me with large blue eyes. I didn't move and continued to stare until she opened her mouth and let out the most god-awful wailing sound. I stepped back and covered my ears as she continued to cry, tears streaming down her face. Only this was even worse than a normal child crying on a plane. I stumbled back to my seat and waited for the girl to stop crying. Once she finally did, my head pounded from the noise. I closed my eyes and leaned my head back on the seat. I must have fallen asleep because the next thing I knew, I was being woken up by someone poking my face. I opened my eyes to see the little girl from before. Only now she looked even older, at least 10 years old. She grinned when my eyes opened and then jumped off the seat, running towards the back of the cabin. I sat up and turned around, watching as she peeked at me from the side of the seat in front of her. I glanced down at my watch. Less than two hours left. I stood up and the girl stared at me from her seat as her mother sat perfectly still. As I looked closer, I noticed that her mom looked older too. In fact, all of the passengers did. They had gray hair and wrinkles that weren't there before. As I looked back towards the girl, she held up her hand and gave me the middle finger. I rolled my eyes and returned to my seat. I tried to ignore the girl as she skipped up and down the aisle silently with a grin on her face. I watched her as she headed back towards the back when she suddenly tripped over her feet and fell face first into the floor. I stared at her as she pushed herself back up and looked at me. Her mouth was covered in blood and she met my eye for about three seconds before she opened her mouth and once again began crying. The cry wasn't as shrill as the last time. Instead, it sounded a few octaves lower, but 
was still extremely loud. I covered my ears again as the girl headed back to her seat. My feelings about the situation were beginning to shift from scared to annoyed, and I tried my best to block out the sound of the girl's cries. Eventually, she stopped, although I wasn't aware of when exactly she did. I spent the remainder of the flight looking at my watch, which didn't seem to advance at all. I turned around once again, just in time to see one of the flight attendants come from the back of the plane. I stared straight ahead as she made her way towards the front, without so much as a glance at me. I turned around again to look at the girl and noticed she had once again gotten older. This time, she looked to be about 17 or 18, and she sat still in her seat, staring straight ahead. I stood up, walked around the cabin, looking at the other passengers. The original three now looked a lot older, around 50 or 60. They were slightly hunched over in their seats. I began to once again get paranoid, so I made my way back to the bathroom to look at myself in the mirror. I looked fine. I was still the same age and looked the same age as I had when I boarded. I let out a sigh of relief as I walked back out of the bathroom, running right into the flight attendant. Oh, I'm so sorry, I said, backing up. She looked up at me and I noticed that her hair was graying and there were new wrinkles on her forehead and near her eyes. It's all right, she said, walking back to the first class cabin. I suddenly began to feel anxious again as I thought about the pilot. Was he also experiencing this speed of aging? At this rate, what would happen when we finally landed? How old would these people be? I passed the passengers again, this time noticing there was something wrong with the man. He sat with his head hanging to one side, his eyes open and unblinking. I took a step toward him and leaned over, holding my finger under his nose. He was no longer breathing. I took a few steps back and looked around. The other two women had experienced the same fate, and all three passengers were now dead, while the girl appeared to now be in her mid-thirties. I checked my watch again. Forty-five minutes. For the remainder of the flight, I stood there watching as the bodies on the plane began to decompose. I watched in shock as the dead bodies proceeded to bloat and then began to decay as the skin rotted while it was being eaten away by maggots. The smell of rotting flesh filled the cabin and I pulled my shirt over my nose as I gagged and tried not to throw up. I watched as the clothing the passengers once wore became dirty with fluids secreting from the decaying bodies as they turned black. It continued, the cabin filled with the stench of death until they were nothing but skeletons and clothing. By that point, the girl had also aged rapidly and had begun decaying. I retreated to my seat and took deep breaths trying not to vomit as the smell from the bodies buried itself in my nostrils. I closed my eyes, and tears began to fall out from the intensity of the odors in the cabin. I was so focused on keeping it together that I didn't even notice when we had landed. The familiar 
ding, caught my attention and I opened my eyes. Once I realized we were back on the ground, I got up and began to grab my bags, taking one last look at the remnants of the other passengers. I don't remember getting off the airplane. The whole thing is a, a bit of a blur. I do, however, remember what happened after. I remember standing there as I watched people run through the airport. I remember there being a lot of commotion as people wondered what was going on. And I remember hearing someone finally answer the dozens of questions that were floating around. There was no pilot on that plane. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80s Movies 50 to get your 50% off today. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents. Every time I break a bone, I go back. Written by Mr. Michael Squid of michaelsquid.com. I was a child when I first jumped back. I was up to bat at our little league match against a visiting team from one town over. The sun was blinding me and I was just trying to keep my eyes on the ball. I swung and missed, but the ball didn't. It cracked me in the eye, shooting blinding pain through my skull. I collapsed to the ground and cried out in agony as the other kids all rushed over to stand over me. The pain swelled and my vision blurred, and then, suddenly, I was lying in my bed at home. My small fingers reached up to my wounded face, but it was neither swollen nor painful to touch. However, I did feel the divot in the bone where the baseball had chipped my skull. It felt strange, but not exactly painful. It was as if the injury had healed over time. I was also confused about how I came to be in my room. And it wasn't my normal bedroom either. It was my bedroom as it had been nearly a year ago. Old posters I'd taken down were still hung up. 
reminders of a younger, more naive me. A Batman poster still hung on the wall, and scattered across my dressers were Power Ranger action figures I'd recently outgrown. Missing was my Pulp Fiction poster and baseball gear. Mom? I yelled out, trying to sort my scattered thoughts. My memories of what my room should look like began to fade like a dream upon waking. They felt less like reality and more like some imagined place. The more I tried to focus on the things that had already taken place, the foggier they became. And soon those details were lost. What is it, honey? My mom peeked into my room. I wanted to ask where my stuff went, but it felt less and less real the more I thought about it. Did you change things in my room? Like the posters? My mom smiled at me, a puzzled look on her face. I didn't. Why? She asked. And I just said, never mind. Throughout the following months, deja vu lingered in every moment. Faint memories of schoolwork and assignments, of every TV show and movie I saw. I could never remember any details names, numbers, etc., but everything seemed somehow familiar. I finally saw Pulp Fiction, and I eventually purchased the same poster from the same store to hang on my wall. I got into baseball, despite some ominous feeling something bad would happen. And then I found myself up to bat with the sun in my eyes. It struck me like a dart in my consciousness. It had been nearly a year since I'd woken up from a confusing dream that seemed more and more an alternate reality. And it all happened when I was hit by that baseball. I leaned back this time and watched the ball zip past my face. I finished the game without incident. Yet the ocular bone in my face was still chipped from an injury that hadn't actually happened. Over the years, I grew into an awkward teenager. I had terrible acne and a growth spurt, making me feel like a stranger in my skin. Still, I met some good friends and got into a little trouble. I had a first date and a first kiss. By the time I was in high school, I felt like I was learning who I truly was. I was with some friends on the way to a winter house party and my bud Jeff was driving. We were 16 and naive, blasting music and speeding down a road off the highway surrounded by snowy woods. All I saw was a large brown shape in the road. Scattered glass filled the car from the impact with the deer. Jeff lost control of the wheel and we hit a tree. The car crumpled and I felt an excruciating pain in my foot. The car crumpled around it. It was clearly broken. The world faded away in a blur. And then I woke up. I was in my bed, and the intense pain in my foot began to diminish. I looked around and realized that it occurred again. And it was very much real. I was in my room, and on the wall was my calendar, open to show September. It was months earlier and everything I was so sure had been real began to fade away into dreamlike fragments. 
Had it not happened before, I might have convinced myself it was all just a very vivid dream. But this time it was clear. I'd gone back in time. I stood up and walked, feeling the odd limp that seemed to be the result of months of healing. And then I continued to relive the previous months all over again. I rewatched shows and films I'd seen before. I engaged in discussions I'd previously had and met people I already had become friends with. It was always blurry, names and numbers especially. But it wasn't just deja vu. I was absolutely sure. I thought of the first incident, the chipped bone in my eye socket, now my crushed foot. It seemed to happen when I broke a bone. I knew better than discuss this particular phenomenon I seemed to be experiencing. I was sure I'd be locked up in an institution. I kept my strange experiences to myself. At least until my older sister was found dead. Kelly was a lot older, six years to be exact. I had fond memories of her in childhood. She moved out to be with her lover before I entered middle school. Mom often prattled on about her getting wasted all the time, mixed up with a low life. It was my senior year of high school, and I was filling out applications to colleges when I got a call from the hospital. Kelly had fallen from a rooftop party in New York. She was dead. It hit me like a brick. I'd always looked up to her, and she taught me to be tough in the face of new challenges whether or not she practiced what she preached. I was devastated, and I just wanted a chance to save her. I wished it and willed it, and then I meandered in the fantasy that I could go back in time. Despite how insane it sounded, and at times felt, I knew some of my fading memories were very much real. I had experienced them. I was going to try and go back. There are bones that can break and heal without ongoing health issues. I settled on the pinky toe of my left foot. Even if it didn't heal right, I should be able to walk fine. Desperation fueled me as I took the ball peen hammer from the toolbox in my parents' garage. I sat barefoot on the concrete and made sure my aim was true. Crack. The pain was all-encompassing. I fought from screaming, but I was still there in that garage. My toe was bleeding, but I realized I'd simply destroyed the nail. Perhaps it wasn't broken. I wiped the snot and tears from my face and took aim once more, all the while realizing how stupid this was. Time travel did not exist, and certainly not through simple self-harm. I felt like an idiot, and that self-loathing fueled my desire to try again. I raised that hammer high and came down much, much harder. Crunch. I screamed from the exploding pain in my toe. Well aware my parents would likely discover me shortly and I'd surely be committed. But then, 
all began to fade into darkness. I kept repeating the date and details of my sister's death over and over again. Soon, I woke up on my back, in my bedroom in my parents' home. I wasted not a second to record the details before I forgot them like some distant dream. February 14th, rooftop party, Kelly falls and dies. My scribbling was barely legible, and no sooner had I written it that the knowledge of my sister's death became faded and fractionated. The past months seemed like I'd made it up entirely. I ran over at the calendar, wondering if it would display a year or at least a few months prior. My stomach twisted as I saw it was flipped to January, only a month prior. I then realized each trip backwards is becoming less distant. The details all seemed to fade out as per usual. It all seemed like a dream, but I was determined to treat it like a reality that was going to happen. I messaged her, begged her to skip any rooftop parties, especially those on the 14th. I could tell by her response she was confused. How the hell did you know I was going to a rooftop party Friday? I literally just got an invite a minute ago, she texted. I spared her the details that seemed far too insane to go into. Just said I'd had a very vivid dream that she would fall and die. I begged and begged and eventually, Kelly promised not to attend. I made her swear it. And she did. She kept her word. And on the 15th, she messaged me. Happy now? I missed out on a great time. My crush Sergio was there too. You owe me. I smiled wide reading the text. Kelly was fine. It worked. I had prevented her death. Over the next few years, I entered college and soon was swept up by my first serious relationship. I met a woman I was head over heels with. A woman with fire in her eyes named Mary. We were joined at the hip non-stop. And I finally felt complete. She teased my slight limp, and when I told her how I got it in a crash that never happened, she became intrigued. She was the first person I told about the bizarre method of time travel that I discovered. She even seemed to believe me. We grew closer despite a few small arguments, and I truly loved her with all my heart. We spent our college years together, and after working and saving for a few years, we finally purchased a small house. Mary gardened on the weekends, and I'd watch her from my chair on the porch. We began talking about having a child, eventually began to fit snugly into place. I was truly happy. And then some drunk took it all away. A police officer appeared one afternoon at my door with his hat in his hands. I collapsed as he informed me there was a car crash. A drunk driver. Mary was dead. I knew immediately what to do. I wasted no time rushing into the garage my bare feet cold on the cement floor. 
I raised the hammer and brought it down with an echoing crack on the middle toe of my left foot. Crack. Everything faded. And when my eyes opened once again, I was in my chair. As I had been earlier that day. My foot throbbing with stinging pain, I immediately called Mary with the intention of telling her to stay off the road. That I'd head over to her and explain everything once I got there. But the phone rang until the voicemail recording came on. And then came a knock on the door. My heart raced as I rushed to answer. But it slumped in agony when I saw the trooper there once again. I'd only gone back an hour or so. I needed to go back further. There are 26 bones in each foot. I'm sure I broke at least four after I brought out the sledgehammer to slam down on the top of my left foot. I screamed louder and harder than ever before from the sharp pain as the arch was crushed flat from the impact. Not sure how many I got with that one shot, but I did go back again. I called, but it was still too late. Straight to voicemail, a knock on my door. The officer with his hat in his hands. I hadn't gone back far enough. I know I need to break a lot more in order to have time to save her. Nothing else matters. There are 206 bones in an adult body. I just hope that's enough. If this works, none of this will have happened. Mary will be okay, but I'm never walking again. If not, I want to apologize to Dale of K&A Auto Salvage for what you'll find in the crusher. For more information on this podcast, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at CreepyPod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons share-alike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the Creepy Podcast production team and the story's author. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object Class Euclid Keter Safe Special Containment Procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust (laughs) The only thing I could hear was 7219 (laughs) laughing Do you remember your name? 
Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.